Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 6th of November. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined by Citizens Party founder and leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, US election is the chaos of a dying economic system. And why did Labor and the Libs gang up to ambush Christine Holgate? Craig, before we get into it, um, Two things. What we're going to go through today, we cover in the Australian Alert Service. If you haven't received a copy already, um, call in for a free copy. We can't do justice to the, the subjects on the time we have on the show. They're more elaborated in there, especially today's big story, which is the Australia Post story and Christine Holgate. So I urge you to look at that if you haven't, if you haven't already seen it. Um, also, bail in. We're going to keep um, on this theme all month because the 30th of November is when Parliament will debate Senator Malcolm Roberts' bill to end any kind of bail-in in Australia. Make sure it cannot happen. Make it explicit in legislation. And we need everybody to get involved in that campaign, send emails and make calls to members of parliament, right? There's information on our website. Get on there, follow the instructions. It's very, very important. We can win this. We can pass a bill on the 30th of November that makes a bail-in impossible in Australia. And that's the only way to save your savings, short of having an Australia Post Bank, which would be government guaranteed, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so uh, with that said, Craig, let's get into it. US election is the chaos of a dying economic system. So we had to start with this subject because yeah. this, is the, this is the big news of, 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 uh, of the week. Um, as of, what is it, it's nearly lunchtime on Friday, the US election is still up in the air, it's undetermined. Um, the thing is though, Craig, we want to talk about the fact that a lot's changed in four years. Four oh, years yeah. ago, on this equivalent show after the US election that Trump was elected in, Craig Ishwood and I did a show where we greeted Trump's election because of its potential. Yeah, we actually uh, recorded that show, Robbie, on the 11th of the 11th. We did a citizen's... This is the advantage of being around for so long. Yeah. You can go back and look, look what we actually said. Now, that's available on our uh, website, on our, our archive website on YouTube. Uh, and so forth, but we'll put the um, the link up on the screen so people can know where to get it from. Uh, but effectively, look what we said: there was three main issues of why Trump got elected, and you have to compare everything what's happened since then to those. And there were three things: there was trade, yep, there's the idea of what was going to happen with banking and war, right? Yep. Like for example, with trade, you know, the idea, the myth was that America was built on free trade. That's crap. Yep. it was built on the American system of political economy where you had directed credit by a centralised government, which is always a bad word these days, into the economy. And that's what actually created the Americans. Uh, and they had economy. tariff protection against the British Empire system of total free trade. They protected their own local industries, right? Which is what tr Trump was hitting, hinting at at that point. Yeah. Then you had the, the, the whole the banking issue, right? You just Nothing was being done about the financial crisis in the US. And Trump actually campaigned on Glass-Steagall. That's right. He came Separating out. Separating the banks. He's, which is breaking up the banks, protecting depositors and all that sort of stuff. And that resonated with the population. Now, he's the first president to really talk about that in any respect, or yep. presidential candidate to talk about that. And we had a lot of optimism that, oh, he's going to bring this forward. And then the final thing, of course, was everyone was sick of wars. All these wars, you know, particularly from the Democrats, Obama and so forth. And Trump made very strong comments about the fact he wanted to end America's you know, interventionism 
overseas intervention and shut down all these wars. And that resonated with, Australian, with, the, uh, with the American people, but also the Australian people, I might add. And the problem here. is, four years later, uh, the report card's a mixed bag. Yep. So there's, there's some things that you can say, Trump still shows some signs. He certainly talks like he's against endless wars. And he says he's tried to get out of Syria and tried to get out of Afghanistan. But, Craig, on the other hand, he employed the people who made sure he couldn't. Mm. Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, they did everything to make sure he couldn't. And he gave them the job, right? And so he has to be responsible for that. He didn't do anything on banking, on Glass-Steagall. He, did, he didn't break up the banks. He, in fact, he employed Wall Street guys. Steve Mnuchin is a Goldman Sachs banker and he's the Treasury Secretary. He did that, right, which went against the, the, what he campaigned on. Um, he, didn't, he, he had a campaign for a national infrastructure bank, did nothing. And in fact, if, it, instead of what he did, he did go down the protectionist path, but in a crazy way. He started a trade war against China, right, um, that, was, that was a, a punitive trade war punishing China with these, with these tariffs, but it hasn't worked. The, the trade deficit hasn't shrunk, right? And it's what Trump should have done instead and could have done is start a national infrastructure bank, invest $4 trillion plus in American infrastructure because it desperately needs it, right? Revive the infrastructure. Revive the steel mills that way. Revive the heartland that way. That would take a lot of manufacturing to do all that infrastructure. The, the Democrats they have picked have up that. on that idea too, Robbie. They've now got in their Well, they've overtaken him on it. They've, they've overtaken him yeah, on that right. idea. They, they've, they've, they've become the party of the National Infrastructure Bank. Yeah, you know, $2.7 trillion being you know, potentially yeah. earmarked for real infrastructure development. And that's the key, Robbie. Look, the people of America have been suffering a great deal under the collapse of their economy for many, many years. And now the COVID-19 crisis, which Trump's done nothing about, has decimated the economy, over there, decimated people's lives, killed over 230,000 people. And... People are a bit hysterical. And the main thing, Craig, is, like, and, and, and that's true, the, the economic problems were there before COVID, though. And this is the, we did a show on this, was controversial a little while ago, where we said Trump has not delivered. Mm. And he hasn't, because all he could point to the economy was the stock market and unemployment rates. Well, we know both are effectively fake, right? It wasn't the real economy that actually got improved, and COVID comes along and, and there's no ability to, to um, resist that. Now, so what could have been a game changer in four years wasn't, and now you've still got this total chaotic situation. And that's, that's tragic for the world, it's tragic for the United States. Um, whoever wins power in this election is going to have to do something about turning the economy around fundamentally. And like you referred to, the best thing we can point to them to do is look at what this group um, called the National Infrastructure Bank Coalition in America is pushing. That'll be transformative. And I would argue, it would also help the world through ending the, like, lessening the war danger because if America actually got its own domestic economy really going properly, it would be less freaked out about falling behind China, which, which, which then feeds into this paranoia that then turns into the danger of war. Yeah, Robbie, I think we, we down here feed into this whole process in, the Americas, in America because, look, we're campaigning for a national bank here in Australia, right? of which you see the hysteria around the Australia Post bank idea and just how powerful the idea is that if Australia can get a national bank up, yep. we've got legislation written, we've got MPs that are prepared to push for it, we've got a long history of having a national bank in terms of the Commonwealth Bank. If we do this, then we can play our part in helping America to, to, to transform itself. No, exactly. All right, Craig, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get onto the Australia Post subject again. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Why did Labor and the Liberals gang up to ambush Christine Holgate? So Craig, last week we raised this subject about the Cartier watches that the Australia Post Chief, Chief Executive Christine Holgate has been forced out over, right? And the more I've looked at this, I've looked at it in great detail since we've put out a release on it. Scott Morrison should resign, not Christine Holgate, because this is a grave injustice. I'll start with the, 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 the one fact I want to make sure everyone understands, right? Because I've talked to multiple people in politics this week and none of them knew this. And the fact is this, the $4,000 Cartier watches that the chief executive of Australia Post purchased happened two years ago in 2018. Yet it became a scandal in late 2020. Why? Right? That's the point. Most people think it happened this year. People, the media was saying, tut, tut, it's a bad look in a pandemic. Had nothing to do with the pandemic, nothing to do with the rising unemployment, nothing to do with the state of the economy. It happened two years ago. This was an ambush. And we're going to show you a video that, we're going to show the ambush on video. Um, the, the point we raised is that Christine Holgate did a couple of things. She stood up to the banks and she also talked about Australia Post potentially becoming a bank. This is something she expressed interest in, right? Now, we know, Craig, the most powerful lobby in Australia is the banks, mm. right? The, ban the, the, the money power, as the old, as the old Labor Party um, uh, called them. Any, sign, any sense that Australia Post might become a bank, they would be totally opposed to and, and, and make sure their, that opposition was known to Parliament. They right? lose their monopoly, Robbie. They would destroy their monopoly, right? And they know that. But even what she did do, so that was more speculative, but even what she did, too, did do was stunning. Um, so there's a, there's the Australia Post has about 7,500 branches. Half of them are, owned, are small businesses, owned by small business families. They're called licensed post offices, right? And they were all going broke. Under her predecessor, who was a National Australia Bank banker, Ahmed Fahour, they were all going broke, these, these, these things. And the reason they were going broke is because the big banks were shutting down their branches like mad you think, why would the banks shut down their branches? Are they going to lose their customers? No, they weren't going to lose their customers because they knew those customers in those suburbs would be able to go to Australia Post and access their bank account that way. And what that meant was the queues at Australia Post branches got bigger and bigger and bigger because people, instead of being able to go to their bank, were going to Australia Post. And those branches were putting on more and more staff to deal with all and, and infrastructure to deal with that extra custom, right? And the banks weren't putting up a red cent to pay for it. And so Christine Holgate made that change. And she sat down with the licensed post office group. She said, what do you want? They explained the situation. She put an executive team on the job and they fronted up the banks and they got three of the big four to put up an extra $22 million a year um, each to cover the costs. It's called the community access fee. And the 70 other smaller financial institutions, they put up $22 million between them. To prove what a big deal this was, one of the big four refused to do it, ANZ. It, it was too tight. It didn't want to pay for what it was, had been getting effectively for free. Right. Um, so, but nevertheless, there was an extra hundred million dollars a year, and then she made sure half of that money went to the branches, and it saved them. Right. It made them viable. They love her. That's what she did. When the deal was done, the four executives who did most of the work, she bought them a watch, as a rec as recognition. Right. Which and they by any now Australia Post Craig is a government business enterprise. It has to function yeah. as like a private business and compete in the private sector. It's allowed to pay high wages, etc. Now, I, I don't necessarily approve of, of that, but that's not her fault. That's the system she, was, she came in under. Um, 
And what she actually did in rewarding these guys for a $100 million deal that it saved Australia Post was fairly cheap, in fact. Well, that's the point, Robbie. This is a corporate operation, Robbie. You know, you've been doing the Citizens Report now for 10 years, right? You're not going to get a car to your watch. I might get your Casio watch. Oh, please. <laughs> right? Because you've got to be relative to the situation you're in. We're yeah, a political yeah. party. We raise significant and important donations from ordinary people. So therefore, you have to be mindful of the environment which you function in. Corporatism in the corporate environment is yep. different. If you want to have a successful run corporation, you've got to bring in successful, talented and decent moral people that are prepared to make that work. And that means, okay, the rewards are different. No, exactly, but exactly. And so what we're going to do now, Craig, is play some two... two we're going to play the ambush in Parliament. And we're going to play the Labor part of it. The, the one people might have seen on the news, to Scott Morrison going off his head. That's what got my attention first. But look at how calculated this ambush was by Kimberly Kitching on Christine Holgate. And just bear in mind, Christine Holgate and her executives are essentially sort of like public servants in this area. They cannot hit back and they're being absolutely slaughtered by this woman who's grandstanding. We're going to play it in two parts. Part one and then we'll take a break and then play part two. So just have a look at this. So you've done this arrangement with the, C with the Commonwealth Bank the NAB and Westpac, but not the ANZ, is that correct? We have um, an arrangement in place with about 70 financial institutions. I'm talking about the big four. Yes, so that's, in terms that's of, correct. You don't have, there's no arrangement with ANZ? No? Yes, that's correct. Um, can I ask, which executives worked on the Bank at Post deal? Mr Gary Starr, myself and a, a lady called Deanne Kittler. Kittler and Nicole. Sorry, Deanne Kittler? Kittler General yeah. Manager of Financial Services. Um, and is that, is that all? They were the senior managers. I mean, we could provide you a list. Team. It was yeah. a big team. We can provide you yeah, a list. Yeah, I would like a list. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, Mr McDonald, did you, as General Counsel and Corporate Secretary, do any work on this? Uh, yes, yes, I did, Senator. And uh, a member of my team on yes. the legal side was actively involved in the documentation. Yeah. Right. And OK, so someone, a direct report to you? Uh, an indirect report to me. So, right. Oh, so who, who is that person directly reporting to? Uh, so reports to my Deputy General Counsel. Who's your Deputy General Counsel? Uh, Philip Govey. Thank you. So is that Covey or Govey? Uh, Govey with a G. Govey. Thank you. Thank you. So, so Mr Boys didn't work on the agreement? It was before he joined the organisation. It's before he joined the oh, organisation. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Boys, when did you join? Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, 27th of May uh, last year. 2019. Okay. Uh, okay. Did when this arrange? So when was this arrangement? When was it entered into for the three of the four big of the big four? So the CBA, yeah, when, when did you enter in? When did this sort of finalise? October 2018. 
Ms Holgate, did you reward the team who worked on the agreement? Um, there were a small number of senior people who'd put in an inordinate amount of work in and they did receive an award from the chair, myself, and on behalf of the board. And what was that award? They got watches. And what, what were the watches? They were a Cartier watch of about value of $3,000 each. So how many watches did you buy? I, if I recall correctly, and Gary may recall, I think it was four people. Four people got Cartier. Do you remember the, the brand, the type? The, the, there was a Cartier tank, Was what was it? I don't recall, I didn't actually per, um, purchase them. They were organized through my office on behalf of the chair and I. Okay, so just to be clear, the four people who received Cartier watches was Mr. Starr, um, you received one? Ms. Holgate? No, I did not. No. Okay, so Mr. Starr received one. Ms. Kittler? That's correct. Did Ms. Kittler receive one? Yes. Did, uh, who else received one? A lady called Anna Bennett, who works in our strategy team, and a gentleman called Greg Sutherland, if I recall correctly, Gary. Gary was Sorry. running the project. Apologies. And so not Greg, not Greg, not Greg, but Gary Covey. Govey. No, no, Greg Sutherland. Greg Sutherland. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, sorry, what does he do? He's left the organisation. Oh, what did he do? He did business what? development. So that's the first part. We'll take a break and play the rest after the break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing why Labor and the Liberals ganged up on Australia Post CEO Christine Holgate. So you've seen the first half of, of Kimberly Kitching's ambush. Look at the second half now and look at how she starts grandstanding in a way that they cannot respond to. Okay, and was that purchased on the corporate credit card of, in the name of the office of the CEO? I don't recall, Senator, I'm happy to take it on notice. Well, does Mr. Boys know? Unfortunately, Senator, I, I'm not aware either. We, we would have to take... And Mr. Boys, just so you're aware, I'm going to come to the question on notice in response to question... Your response to question on notice 1740, where you said you were unable to provide a breakdown of the corporate credit card because of COVID-19. And I presume that you actually do some online banking. But I'm going to come to that. But just on this, you can't tell me what card this was purchased on. And you're the CFO. You can't tell me you spent um, you, you spent twelve thousand dollars and you can't on watches. And you can't tell me which credit card you you put that money on. Uh, that's that's correct, Senator. Uh, you are the chief financial officer, and you can't tell me where the expenditure was put against. 
I cannot because I haven't had that question today. So uh, Australia Post has $7.4 billion worth of uh, expenses. Um, we we look after those expenses uh, and take great care with those expenses. So when, when was when this really? is, uh, this okay. is some, some when was that ago. when was that when was that purchase made? What month was that made in and what year? I believe Senator it was October two thousand and eighteen. So in October twenty eighteen, uh, you purchased four Cartier watches, and you're going to come back to me about where, which credit card, or did you do a direct transfer to Cartier? Was that in Cartier in Sydney? Were the watches purchased out of Cartier in Sydney? No, they were not. Where were they purchased? Melbourne. Out of? Were they purchased? Melbourne. Melbourne. Well, that is quite close to your headquarters office in Melbourne. Um, was fringe benefits tax declared on these watches? Senator, I'd have to take it on notice. I, I wouldn't know. I'm assuming so because our finance team are very vigilant about going through um, fringe benefits tax. But I can happily take it Sweet. on notice. Lovely. Um, Mr. Starr, are you wearing the watch now? Uh, no, I am not, Senator. Did you gift it to anyone else, for example, your wife? No. Um, do you, Ms. Holgate, consider it appropriate to use taxpayers' money to buy Cartier watches for already highly remunerated Australia Post executives? I have not used taxpayers' money. We are a commercial organisation. Um, is... <laughs> we do not Australia... receive government funding. We are a commercial organisation. And You're it was a government a organisation. It, it was a recommendation from our chair that these people get rewarded. Now, Craig, one of the things I want to say about what people have just watched is you can see Christine Holgate is getting increasingly stressed. She's been hit out of the blue about something that happened two years ago, and she's starting to smell that this is an attack, right? And she's, you know, you, you can see that. And that's, that's really unfortunate. There was a little flash there in, 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 in the footage where you see how she's sitting beside the minister. The minister's job in a situation like that in Senate hearings is when the politicians are getting too political, and grandstand like that in a way the, the, the people that are questioning cannot respond to. It's the minister that usually intervenes as the political figure and takes on the politician. That minister didn't. Why? That's the minister for bankers, Senator Hume. Right? This is... Everything I've looked at this, this woman does everything in her power in Parliament to protect the banks. Scott Morrison protects the banks. And the person who's being crucified beside her is someone that was potentially a threat to the banks. This is what we're raising. Um, but let me ask you this. You're effectively our chief financial officer. The poor guy that... Could you tell me what credit card you spent something on two years earlier? Um, let me think, Robbie. Um, <laughs> can I take that on notice? And let me point out, the guy that was being... That she was buttonholing like that, he had said two minutes earlier he wasn't even there two years earlier. He joined the year before, right? And she's saying he should know what credit card... This was such rubbish. It's such a huge corporation, Robbie. Look, this, you know, we, we are a certain size, but this is a, you know, a thousand times bigger than we are. Look, this is a, what you've just seen is actually an assault 
There was a pre, this was a premeditated attack, I think, with collusion between both major parties to get rid of this woman. And the only thing that makes sense to me is the fact that she talked about Australia Post. She stood up to the banks and talked about Australia Post becoming a bank, yep. right? She might have been naive for saying that, but she's been slaughtered for nothing she did wrong. Which will get and, overwhelming support, Robbie. And it's a grave injustice. But for YouTube viewers, we're going to continue after this break. We'll say goodbye to the Channel 31 viewers. All right, now, Craig, so this is, this is quite a story. Um, I rushed through a little, a little bit of that, but let me just re-emphasise again, and, and maybe we can bring it up on the screen. I want people to look at this clip of, uh, of the, the witnesses in a row where Jane Hume is beside Christine Holgate, mucking around on her phone, and when you understand how powerless these executives are to tell Kimberly Kitchen, what they really think, which is they should have been, they were probably all wanting to scream at her, what the hell are you talking about, right? You crazy political hack, right? This is something two years ago. Why is this an issue? But they can't do that. They've got to have decorum. The poor chief financial officer can't say, he can't even point out, look, I wasn't even there. And she's grandstanding, you know, they can't do that. It was James Hume's job to protect her. And she's just sitting there letting it happen. The directors of the Australia Post board are all Liberal Party appointees. They right? are. The chairman of the board... And they were supposed to be there, Craig. The chairman they? of the board refused to be there, yep. right? Now, instead... Was he tipped off? Well, that's the question. Yep. Because, look, you've got the chief financial officer, the CEO. They're employees of the board. Yep. And she made it very clear on many occasions that the idea of giving the executives these watches, which the was cheap, yep. was at the direction of the chairman of the board. Yep. So all she was doing was a normal corporate function of saying, okay, we're going to reward these executives with a watch, which is much cheaper than giving them $10,000 bonuses, yeah. which no one would have you know, seen as a problem. Well, they, so they'd the landed a $100 million deal. She could have given them $50,000 bonuses and the, the, the business community would have thought that was normal. So look, this is the thing with, with you know, corporate situations. You've yep. got to, if you want to keep good staff, right, at least you have to acknowledge what the work is that they do. And this is normal. And what really is disgusting about this, I mean, Christine Holgate, what she's done for the Australia Bank, you know, the LG, you know, the Licensed Post Office Group, is so incredible. This is the quality of person that we require in these sorts of yeah, institutions. Exactly, exactly. Now, and the point of it is, you get these sorts of attacks by, you know, a thug like Scott Morrison and this sort of thuggish attack. Why would people want to be part of these corporations? No. What does that mean for the future then in terms of the quality of the corporations that we have? And the licensed post office group, Craig, has, asked, has said exactly that. They know what a great CEO she was for them and they're, thinking who would, they're asking who would take the job now in a way that's, that's going to that's be prepared to do the same kind of thing. They offered, I might have mentioned this last week, there's 3,000 of the branches that they're, taking, they're, they're um, all chipping in $5 each to pay for the damn watches. They think it's the best deal they've ever seen. Right? They love, they're not highly paid people, these small business owners, but they don't begrudge the executives who save their businesses getting a $5,000 watch. Right? But anyway, in the, the, one of the reasons we want to go over time is because, not just to continue elaborating on that, but just, let's just talk about what an Australia Post Bank would do. Now, we're, gonna, we're developing legislation right now. Regular viewers would be, would be aware the Citizens Party has we've developed legislation for a national infrastructure and development bank. And the reason we use both words is because it can be used for investing in infrastructure, but also development is in, in the sense that um, industrial development. In, p people in industry can come to that bank. The people that private banks won't lend to, 
they can come to this bank and get back for what they can do. And we can turn around manufacturing in this country. Now, an Australia Post Savings Bank could be very complementary to that. And that's how we're developing the legislation. So we're writing a bill, to, to a second bill to introduce in the parliament, which would turn Australia Post into a savings bank that would do savings and loans and the any excess deposits, surplus deposits, it can invest in the National Infrastructure Bank. That investment would be government guaranteed. So the people putting their money into the bank, all those deposits would be guaranteed and what the bank invests in will also be government guaranteed, right? You don't get that from any private bank. And by, the, by virtue of the fact that it's government guaranteed, there'd be no bail-in, right? You're, if, you, if, if, they haven't, if there was an Australia Post bank, you could put your money in there, there'd be no bail-ins. You would not be debanked. If you're a small business person, like we've been talking about, we've just got a press release out on this today, there would be no debanking of the, because, the, because it's government-owned or taxpayer-owned, it would not be allowed to discriminate, right? It would provide proper service through branches, right? Because, because it's part of the Australia, Australia Post has to have branches, right? The banks are saying, oh, we can get away without branches, but only because they're parasites piggybacking off Australia Post. Australia Post would keep its branches and the branches would always be there. So the, the retail service, compared to what the Australian public have become used to from these big banks, would be brilliant, right? And the Australian people would love it. And the banks know that. And yeah, you're going to break the monopoly of the banks, as we said before, Robert. You're going to break the power. And this is what it comes down to. What is the role of banking within yep. an economy? The role of banking in the economy is to su support the, the necessary direction of credit yep. to support the economy which supports the people. We've had such uh, decades now of this speculative financial cancer in our financial system that if, uh, two generations of people have come to accept that banking is this parasitical yep. animal. That's all I know. But, that's all I know. And the point is, though, here you have, there, there is a, uh, a memory in the Australian population of the old Commonwealth Bank. You go back and look at the Commonwealth Bank did during the war, and when it was started in World War, you know, it funded World War I under Sir Dennis and Miller. Right, this was done, and it absolutely created a, the, the wealth that we have today. And we didn't lose a bank during the Depression, unlike America, because we had the Commonwealth Bank. Now, it didn't function like it could have, but we have this enormous wealth of national banking history. Yep. And the Australian uh, Post Bank is a complete complement to this idea because yep. it gets down into the very streets, suburbs, in fact, of just about every community in the country. Well, Therefore, you don't have to drive 10 kilometres to go to your bank because the private banks have shut the branches down right. You can go to your post office. Yeah. I, I spoke to a, a former bank director, Craig, who had some views on this. He even had some views. He was he he was he admired Christine Holgate for getting away with um, rewarding these executives who'd done such a brilliant job on the cheap. He thought, he thought <laughs> she'd get away with it for cheap, right? That's how, that's what an actual business executive thought. Um, but he reinforced to me just how much the banks would fear a, a public postal savings bank. And he gave me the example of Kiwi Bank in New Zealand. When it started as a postal savings bank, it attracted so many deposits, the private banks were shocked, right? And they, if they, they do not want that happening here. But there's other successful examples around the world. Japan has a big one, the Japanese postal bank over there, called Japan Post Bank, sorry. Um, these things are successful. In its own right, this would be successful. We're proposing a, a complementary model where it can work in tandem with the National Development Bank so that you know 
Who, which Australian would not want to know they can put their money in a bank and it would be safe and it would be going towards the economic de development of Australia, right? Yep. The best of all possible worlds, that's what you could achieve with this. And it's all possible, except the only people that would oppose it are the gangsters who run the private banks and their political stooges. And I think we have seen in this case how that works. It's bipartisan. Both parties are sell, sell out to the banks, right? And we saw the, the, the way Jane Hume sat there and then later and, and let Kimberly Kitching completely misrepresent and, and, and unjustly um, terrorise these, these uh, executives who couldn't fight back. And then Scott Morrison on cue went off his head like a banshee in Parliament later over this total non-issue and left the entire Australian Parliament thinking this woman had gone out like Marie Antoinette, not caring about the world and, and splurged on watches in the middle of a pandemic and rising unemployment, and that, none of which was true, to crucify her shows you the, that this, is, this corrupt power is still running the show today and we have to fight it. And we're going to fight it by we know what they're afraid of. We're going to write legislation for it and get introduced in the parliament. So yep. keep fighting with us. Um, and in the meantime, as I said at the beginning of the show, make those calls and send those emails on bail in. Very important. Craig, thanks, thanks for joining us. Yep, you're welcome. Thanks for your tuning us next week for more.